Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 420, which is Molly Pabian, who is the head of studio over at Crafty Apes. Uh, Molly's a wonderful person. Uh, she and I worked in, in the past and she's had an incredible career, actually, and she tells us all about it as, of course, we find out about her background starting in film school. Actually, she said she had an interest in this back in middle school. Uh, but she went to film school and then she somehow got very interested in both production and visual effects, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, took that. She started as a PA from Digital Dimension and all the way through her career became the head of studio at Crafty Apes, uh, which is a really great company uh, and has done some amazing work. Uh, she's really on top of the game in terms of what production is and how that what that role means. And there's many little different things, the steps that happen along there. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of visual effects studio, they think of the glory of being an animator or an effects artist or whatever they happen to be. But they don't think about the production staff that's behind uh, them and supporting them and creating all the amazing, uh, making the infrastructure work for them to be able to do the work that they do. And uh, producers are, are really, really cool. And so Molly sort of talks us through that tells us a little bit about, you know, the steps that it takes and the different responsibilities that different levels have at, at different studios. And it was really good to see that and to talk about that. And for those of you who are ever interested in visual effects or interested in production, that's a really great way to sort of understand what that means and what those roles are. Uh, besides that, it was really great talking to Molly and to see, uh, you know, what her, what she's doing over at Crafty. Uh, okay, we've got a couple of announcements. We mentioned uh, V-Ray 6 for 3DS Max is out. There's a lot of great things going on. That That's update one, sorry. <laughs> update one is out. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on. There's some masking tools that's happening in the in the frame buffer that is helping with uh, uh, lens effects and denoisers and things like that. So if you want to mask out certain areas that do or don't take on certain effects, you can do that. Uh, there are lots of USD stuff that's happening as well. We've done a lot of updates in that area. Uh, faster scene loading, uh, environments, fog renders a lot faster. And uh, we're using also a whole lot less RAM for uh, textures on a, a V-Ray GPU. So uh, really cool to see all of that. Make sure and check it out. Just go to chaos.com and check out any of our product updates. And of course, you'll be asking, when are the other products coming out? They're coming out very, very soon. In fact, I saw some really interesting updates. And of course, we will let you know on the podcast when those come out. Uh, as far as events are concerned, uh, April uh, 4th and 5th, we will be in Paris for BIM World Paris. So go check us out there if you're going to be there. Uh, April 16th through the 21st, we will be in Munich, Germany for BUA 2023. And April 24th through 26th, we will be in Stuttgart, Germany for nothing less than FMX 2023. Very excited. I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be able to make it to FMX this year, but uh, uh, we're, that's still up in the air, but we will see very soon. So make sure and check us out. Of course, you can find out all the events we're going to if you just go to chaos.com slash events. Again, that is chaos.com slash events. Uh, okay, cool. And if you guys want to know more about the podcast, you can always follow us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast, or you can just go directly to our page, which is chaos.com slash CG Garage. And if you'd like to watch these podcasts, which I always recommend because it's a lot of fun, and we're getting more and more people that are looking to, uh, checking out podcasts through video now, uh, you just go to uh, youtube.com slash TV, and all the uh, podcasts are posted there along uh, in video as long with the regular podcast. And of course, if you have other ideas or questions or comments or anything you'd like to talk about on the podcast, and we're getting a lot of them these days, uh, just make sure and let us know. Just email us. It's the best way to do it. That is labs at chaos.com. Again, that is labs at chaos.com. We would love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave us a rating on your uh, Apple, Apple podcast. Leave us a review. Uh, we would always love to see that as well. 
But for now, please enjoy episode number 420 with Molly Pabian. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. First time we met was on Real Steel, is that right? That's correct, yes. Okay, so we've uh, I've known you since then, which has been a long time ago now. But uh, I, I've And you've done some amazing things since then, which we're going to get into. But it's kind of like the movies, you know, when you, you start in the middle of the story and then you try to find a backstory and then you get to the middle of the movie <laughs> and you're back at the beginning of the story and then you can go forward. So that's what yeah. I want to do. So that real steel is where we met and you were uh, coordinated there and that was the first time you and I worked together and it was really interesting. But let's go through the backstory. So how did all of that start? Like what got you interested in f- filmmaking and all this stuff before that? Great. So goes back to probably middle school or something. Um, I grew up in Michigan and always loved um, movies. That was something that we would do on the regular. We'd go to the movies every weekend or multiple movies in the weekend. Sure. Um, and then I got really into scary movies in particular. Um, so I would see like all of the screams, all the final destinations. Um, and I kind of dabbled in like script writing and stuff. And then um, junior year of high school, uh, you know, you take your SATs and to this day, I still don't really know how, uh, my film stool school, uh, caught up with me, sure. but I think it's because I checked like interested in media film production, like on that form. And so then Brooks Institute of Photography called me and like out of the blue and was just like, hey, uh, we're a film school in Ventura, California. Uh, We have a photography program that is renowned and it's in Santa Barbara, but we're opening up this new film division. Uh, We want to talk to you. We'd love for you to come out and check out the the school. Um, It's a year-round, three-year program. Um, And so I was like, okay. (laughs) And and from there, we were kind of, I was like, mom, like, like, could we go? Like, this is something I'm really interested in. And luckily, my parents were always super supportive. And they were like, well, uh, if this is your dream, like, let's go check it out. So we went for my, um, like, midwinter break or something of that year, checked out the school, made sure it was real. Um, Their, like, (laughs) claim to fame is that the Aaron Brockovich uh, set was there. Okay. Um, So you, like, go and see the inside of her house. Um, there's some other stuff. I forget what what other movie it was. There's some like Mexican street facade. Um, and so we got, got the tour. And pretty much from then, it was like, all right, I'm going to California. So um, went to film school. Um, this was in 04. So I was set to graduate in 07. And when I was there, you you didn't get into visual effects until like the last year of your schooling. So you start off with, you know, photography, learning like rule of thirds, all of the 
basic things, lenses, all of that. Then you get into making a short. Um, and then I took some script writing classes again. And then you got into like your major for, <clears throat> for the program. So they offered a feature route, a commercial route, and a visual effects route. And visual effects is probably the main thing I was always interested in. Um, growing up, my favorite movies were Willow, uh, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park. So at, looking back, I was like, oh my gosh, every movie was like this big visual effects movie. Um, not really like putting it together that this was a real job, right? So uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the visual effects track. And they taught me light wave and combustion, okay. which at the time was slowly getting phased out. Um, but I didn't know, you know, and so then um, I didn't necessarily like what I was learning from my teachers. And so I was like, okay, I need to get more like hands-on experience. So um, I started cold calling essentially visual effects companies. And um, I started with movies that I really liked. So back to my my horror Final Destination uh, thing. Um, I love that log sequence. Yeah. So for Final That's, Destination That 2, is one of the first big things ever rendered in V-Ray, believe it or not. Oh, wow. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big... <laughs> there was actually one more that Digital Dimension did. It was a digi-double uh, of... Oh, what was that? The, 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 the Dragon movie uh, with uh, Matthew McConaughey. A uh, 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 fire, something. Oh, uh, I know uh, what you're talking uh, about. Yeah, yeah. Rain of Fire. And yeah, he, there yeah. was a digi double. He was like teeny and he was like three seconds. But then they, they said, oh, this worked well. And they did the big log sequences. Like, And yeah. Vlada was so proud of that. He was like, this is the first <laughs> big visual effects thing. It was an amazing sequence. Yeah, it was super amazing. So um, I I found their, uh, v, or not VP, but their executive producer's uh, information Luckily, they got back to me. Wow. Um, and I got an interview. Normally, they had only taken interns from Emerson College because uh, he is from Boston. Okay. And, and he was like, we actually didn't have someone submit this year. So I got the internship. Um, just total luck, which is crazy because I probably cold called or emailed like 50 different companies. Right. So um, they bit, they took me on. And then before I graduated, they actually brought me on as their PA. Okay. So I was at uh, Digital Dimension for about three years. Um, and then they went under during the writer strike. Yes. Uh, so we were supposed but to. But it was get the one, lot. the run here in like on the Hollywood, Burbank, Hollywood area, right? Sort of like. Yeah, yeah. we were in Burbank. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so we were supposed to get more work on Wolverine and a few other projects, but the writer's strike delayed all of this stuff and we didn't have enough to continue. So we ended up closing. And at that time I was like, oh my gosh, this is my first job. I don't have any contacts. I don't know what to do. Everyone was super great. They were like, we'll, we'll help you look for jobs. We'll help introduce you to people. Um, so from there I ended up going to UNCO where I worked on Gamer for Pretty much, they were just starting to develop their feature pipeline, but previously they were all motion graphics. Mm -hmm. So I worked there for a bit, and then Chris Del Conte reached back out to me, um, who was the EP that uh, was my boss at DD or Digital Dimension. Yeah, the other one, <laughs> um, the other DD. Um, and so he was over at Prime, uh, sorry, Frantic Films right. at the time. Yep. Um, so he brought me over there. Um, and so I had moved my way up to coordinating at this time. So I was a coordinator over there. 
um, throughout the switch from frantic films to prime focus. So we worked on Avatar, uh, the first one uh, at uh, frantic films. Mm -hmm. And then when we transitioned to prime focus, we were the first vendor to fully stereoize a feature, which was Clash of the Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was wild. That was yeah. probably the most I ever worked. Wow. And <laughs> so from there, um, Charlene Goh, who was a fellow coordinator with me at um, Frantic Films, she had already gone to Digital Domain. Um, she was working on G.I. Joe, I believe. Okay, yeah. And she was like, hey, we're interviewing for other chords. Uh, so then that's how I got into DD. Uh, I interviewed for T3 and um, uh, Real Steel. And I decided to go with Real Steel because Charlene was on that. And so uh, that kind of brings us to where All right. you. <laughs> okay. So, so, but you, you, I mean, you were learning light wave and combustion. So did you never have an interest in being an artist? Did you sort of, what landed you into the sort of production side of things? Yeah. So when I interned, um, I was doing PA work, essentially. I was kind of updating their elements library and and then started following around the coordinators. There was definitely opportunities to learn on the box. And the, the PA that I actually took over the role from was also learning late at night, like how to roto and do junior comp and things. Um, and so he moved over into an artist role, which freed up the PA position for me. And they, they had offered me, you know, plenty of opportunities, but there was something about how my mind works and being in that PA position. I was like, oh, like I kind of love spreadsheets, you know, like (laughs) it's not something I thought I ever would have said before, but after dabbling with it, then I really fell in love with it. I think that's a skill set that is underappreciated. I know everyone wants the glory of being an animator or whatever, or they think it's going to be a glorious thing. It's not always as yeah. glorious. I think there's something amazing about. Uh, I've always appreciated any anyone who's a really great coordinator, producer. You know, all those people, they put pieces together of a puzzle that is incomprehensible to me. <laughs> <laughs> So I know, I know how good that is. And I honestly, I'm like, if I, if I don't have, if I have to do all of that work myself, I would fail miserably. So I know the value of a good, a good production person and how that works. So it's interesting that you saw that in yourself and you're like, this is kind of fun. Like being able to take a bird's eye view and look down and see how you're going to solve this problem. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, after being in the industry for so long, talking with artists, you know, a lot of the times they'll say 90% of my job is technical, you know? And so you don't, the artist isn't quite as creative as like you imagine it to be when you're young, you know? So, um, I feel like I probably would have hated (laughs) problem solving all of that stuff. Uh, Your render is broken. (laughs) Fix it. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Okay, so Real Steel, you know, was was a was a fun film, and so you were you're you're at this point you're in it. You're a coordinator. You're working on big features, and you're working at some of the uh, top shops in the in the world. So, what what where did you go from there? Where did you take this journey? So after Real Steel, I ended up going over to um, Rhythm and Hughes. Okay, I was hired for Chipwrecked, uh, Elvin Three. <laughs> So worked on that, and I was in charge of the India teams. Um, so I had slightly offset hours, and all of my team was over 
um, in Mumbai and some other locations. But we had my supervisor, uh, my comp soup and my CG soup that were in LA. So we would go over dailies and I was kind of the point person um, from that. And then I went on to Life of Pi after that, um, same similar role. And then um, Eric Nash uh, yeah. ended up calling me uh, to bring me back to DD. Um, he called me personally, and I later learned that, that that was their technique to make sure I came back. Um, <laughs> so I went back for uh, Iron Man 3. Right. Um, I which, remember. <laughs> yeah, which was crazy in itself because that was when everyone filed for bankruptcy. That's and right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it was a very challenging show. Um, just well, and in- you just came from Life of Pi. <laughs> yeah. So you've so- been just watching these major visual <laughs> effects houses just crumbling in front of you. Yeah. So the funny thing was, is that at that time, uh, Rhythm and Hughes was trying to get me to go on to RIPD. Right. And then Eric called and I was like, ah, okay, I'll go back. Then we filed for bankruptcy. And then I was like, oh man, like, should I go back to RH? Because they were like trying to bring me back. And then they filed for bankruptcy like two months later or right. something. And so I was like, oh man, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's good I stayed here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of amazing that, you know, through that process uh, that they, they did file for bankruptcy, but somehow survived and never missed a paycheck. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I felt very blessed that I was always paid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's interesting that they, they, they gave, uh, asked Eric to, to, uh, (laughs) to call you just for those people know Eric Nash was the VFX supervisor on real steel and also on Iron Man three. So that was his tag. He's a very fun guy. He's been on this podcast, but he's a very fun person. Yeah. 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 I like Eric a lot. Um, Okay. All right. So then. Yeah, go ahead. Should I keep going? Yeah, of course. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So after um, Iron Man 3, Mm -hmm. I went on to Category 6 at DD. And then they they were trying to figure out where I was going to go next. Um, And at that time, it was just like. I was fried, you know, it was just so much. So I ended up taking the summer off, which is still like the best thing I've ever done. Nice. Um, I feel like when you're freelancing, cause this whole time I'm freelance. So when you're freelancing, you don't think about like, okay, I'm going to take this breather. Um, you're always looking for the next hustle to make sure that you can pay for all of, all of your rent and the groceries and all these things. So you never really like take advantage of that time off. And so that was the first time where I was like, I'm just going to take three months and see what happens. <laughs> right. And very glad that I did. So from there, I went to uh, Method, where I worked on Thor 2. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, I got a really good opportunity to go to Shade Visual Effects as a producer. Um, so sorry, on Iron Man 3, I was brought in as a production manager. So okay. um, I was kind of already like climbing and then I got a great opportunity to become a producer at shade. Um, cause they're a smaller boutique, uh, you know, like 30 people. Um, I was only going to be covering for a maternity leave. So I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's roll the dice. See what shade was in Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were at Bergamot station. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So I went there. It was like, Day one, I was getting trained up by their producer and how they do things. And then the next morning, she's like, I just got 
um, mandated bed rest. So good luck. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but luckily, uh, I was able to pick it all up and carried on. And then um, after that, she decided that she wanted to stay uh, an at- a stay-at-home mom for a little bit. And so I ended up staying at Shade for probably six years. Six years. Wow. Yeah. What was it like going from, you know, especially in the production side of things, going going from the, you know, big, you know, 300 person shows to like, you know, a very small boutique place. Yeah. It's, it's so wild. Like at the bigger shops, everything is so department based. And so you have coordinators for lighting, Adam effects, you know, and then you have like three production managers and then two producers or digital producers and then the real producer. Right. So there's like all of these layers of all of the things that you're looking after. And then at shade, it was just me and a coordinator. Yep. <laughs> so all of a sudden now we're handling everything, you know, and so you really have to wear multiple hats and uh, and really think about every project that you're working on as kind of sequences because you're not working on a 500 shot show. You're working on three 100 shot shows, you know, right. so you still have a lot that you're juggling, but um, the biggest thing is that you're just all hands on deck. And what I really liked about it is that you you learn so much about all of the roles and all of the departments instead of being just put in that one department that you're overseeing. Do you think, I mean, what was your favorite part of it in terms of, you know, obviously you have to do things like you got to find a cruise, you got to get all that. Well, let's start, actually, let's start with the show coming in. Show comes in, you got to bid it, right? So you got to figure yeah. out how much it's going to cost and what you're going to do. Uh, and then you got to talk to people that are, uh, you know, find the people that are involved. Actually, you tell me, you tell me what the different parts are. <laughs> you know better than I do. Uh, tell me what they are. And then what's your favorite parts of it? Uh, like what's, what's the one you like the most? Great. So a new show comes in, um, usually get quick time. Sometimes you're involved early enough where you're, you're getting scripts and you're breaking down from the script. Um, finding, you know, best approaches, like, is this going to be a green screen? Is this going to be a blue screen? Are you going to shoot it practically? Is it now an LED screen? Should we put in some contingencies for aliasing or whatever, you know, issues that have popped up with those? Um, Working with the supervisors to talk about the best approach. Is this 2D blood? Is this 3D blood? Um, Do we have the resources to do a CG eel, you know? Um, And so you're kind of figuring out like, who, who would we need for these things? Uh, at the smaller shop, you are doing a lot of 2D work. So your 2D team is very strong. And then you have just a couple of very senior generalists that can do, you know, animation through lighting, right. uh, asset build as well. Um, so we didn't have a lot of hiring for like special cases, but we did do a show with a CG Buffalo. So we did need to hire a, a hair person, um, you know, so you try to take on the work that you know that you can accomplish well um, and that you have the resources to do. And then there's that rare occurrence where, okay, yep, we need to, to get someone to, in here to do grooms. So, right. Um, but my favorite part is, and still probably will always be just seeing, you know, start to, to final product. You know, it's so rewarding to be able to produce something that isn't real or that you would never guess there was visual effects, you know, seem a seamless visual effects or invisible effects, you know, uh, whatever the, the term is, sure. um, is the most rewarding for me because, um, people 
people believe that you did it and they didn't even know you were involved. And it's like, all right, you thought it was real. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I always tell people it's like the, 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 the irony of what we do is like, if people never realize we did anything, then we won. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Um, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're, you like sort of trying to figure those things out, right? Yeah. 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 I, when I was a, a VFX supervisor, I loved the bidding process. Cause it's like, this is the time to be the most creative when you, there's no yeah. solution yet. We have to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's really cool. Okay. So you spent six years at shade, which is great. So you, and you learned a lot of skills during that process, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was super valuable experience. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved working there. I loved the team. Um, you just dug into so many things. And so from there, I went to DNEG, uh, LA, where I worked on the first season of Picard. Mm. Um, and to go from small shop to big shop was just shocking. You know, it's really? like I've worked at the big shops before. And so I, I didn't think I would be shocked. But then it was like, oh my gosh, I need to go through all of these different departments now instead of having one person just take this shot like from start to finish, you know? So it was right. like trying to get back into, you know, exchanging things, passing this off to this person, to then this person and so on and so on. Um, and it really made me value or appreciate how much everyone did at Shade um, and how diverse they are in their skill sets. You know, it really is just unbelievable what generalists can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think that the idea of generalists is definitely coming back as a, as an asset. It used to be sort of, especially larger shops, like, well, generalists are just not very good. You know, yeah. you need yeah. a specialist to really get high quality. And that's absolutely yeah. not true at all. You just, and I think it's, and you, get it faster too, because it just passes yep. it on to themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Cool. So, okay. So then you, so you were able to, uh, uh, to check all of that out uh, and, and see that transition. What, what besides the being dealing with bureaucracy, <laughs> what were some of the other <laughs> things that you figured out? Um, that's a good question. I feel like, you know, the big shops are, always super exciting because you work on such meaty things. Sure. Um, so we got back into, you know, full CG set extensions, big spaceships, big battles. Um, and then we also had monthlies with the rest of the offices. And so you got to see, you know, behind the scenes of jungle crews and, um, I forget what other projects were happening at the time, but it was just like, oh my gosh, they're doing this whole like setup with all of these vines and trees. And, you know, it's just incredible. Uh, probably Dune was happening at the time, I'm sure. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just incredible to see all of that stuff and and to see how they go throughout, you know, several months of monthlies, you know, like right. they would submit like, here's a gray shaded effects play blast of sand, you know, and then all of a sudden you see the the final comp months later and you're like, wow, like it's it's just inspiring, you sure. know, to see such high quality work done. Yeah, I used to love going to, to monthlies. I thought those were fascinating. Uh, and, yeah. then, and then being really proud if, is it when you're a, uh, a junior artist, if your shot is in monthlies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, woo! It's like, yeah, they like my work. Uh, yeah. That was really cool. Uh, yeah, so that's cool. Um, all right, so how long were you at DNEG for? 
I was only there for Picard. Okay. And then um, Crafty Apes, which is where I am now, was knocking at my door since the second I went over there. Um, a lot of people from Shade ended up going over there after Shade had closed. Okay. Um, and so, well, they didn't close at the time. They had done a scale back. And okay. so a lot of the people that I had worked with went to a Crafty. And so they talked with the Ledoux and Jason Sanford. And so they kept calling me and they're like, whenever you're ready, like we're ready for you. Um, and so I ended up going over there and it was the best decision that I made. Um, it's really been the best place that I've worked because I get the shade feeling of the more boutique uh, generalist, you know, all hands on deck vibe, but we still get some really meaty stuff. Um, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like the best of both worlds for me. Yeah. And I have been just so, so impressed with how quickly it's grown as a company. Yeah, Like it is yes. just unbelievable. Cause I remember, you know, seeing it's like, Oh, who's crafty apes. And now suddenly like they're everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> And then, you know, that's only in a few years that I think that's been going on, which is kind of amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so you were, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Crafty Apes. I mean, what, what was yep. your role going into it and what are you doing now? Cool. So I was brought in as a senior producer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started producing, my first project was Purge 5. Um, and then I had a I was in this role for probably a little over a year. Okay. And then uh, Tim Ledoux was the head of studio at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and he was looking to take a sabbatical. So he had reached out to me about becoming head of studio. And I had always thought like, this is out of my grasp. This is never something a producer would get the opportunity to. Yeah. Uh, I always kind of had my eyes set on head of production. So that was like my next logical step. Right. Um, and Tim was like, well, I've already given you a lot of the stuff that I do. You're kind of doing the role. How about you accept it? And I was <laughs> like, am I doing it? You know, I'm all questioning it. Like, am I doing it? Yeah. I was like, oh, I guess I am. Yeah. Um, so I accepted the role um, with the, the um what's the word the condition that Brandon Nelson would be my creative director because my biggest concern was that I wouldn't know how to help fix like a shot you know sure. like I don't have that artist background um so I was like as long as someone can dig into scripts and like help the artist when that is needed then I'm fine you know running running the rest of it. So he accepted, thank goodness. Yeah. And um, so I've been in this role for a little over a year now. Yep. And it's been incredible. It's I've learned so much. And, you know, I, I feel like the team is my babies, you know, like watching over everybody, you know, making sure that they're growing, giving them shots to help them grow, making sure they're on the right um, projects for the growth. Um, all kinds of stuff. It's been extremely rewarding. Well, that's very interesting. I'd love to, okay. So for my audience, a lot of people who are sort of learning about the industry or whatever, give people an overview of, you know, what those different production roles are. And especially now head of studio is very different, but let's, let's even start back down to at, at coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say that it's a lower case, but a yeah, coordinator still yes. is, there's a lot of work to be done there. Yes. So coordinators day-to-day -day is directly communicating with the artists, making sure that they know when they're 
their tasks are due, making sure they're communicating when other departments are ready so that they can start their work, or if that other department that they're waiting on is delayed, giving them the heads up of that the schedule is shifting, um, making sure that our database shot grid is up to date with, hey, this is good to go, this is waiting, we got notes, updating dates in there, um, and then also client management, replying to client emails, uh, downloading stuff, bringing it online, making sure it's in the right folders, that everything's linked in ShotGrid as well so that you can see the reference in there, um, and then doing deliveries uh, for the client as well. Um, so we'll probably do deliveries every day or every other day. Uh, really depends on how urgent the show is. Okay. Uh, so that and uh, very valuable, having a good coordinator. And as uh, someone, like you said, um, uh, uh, who I was a lead on a lot of stuff over at DD and uh, they would have leads would have coordinators and uh, to help the coordinator just, or the, 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 the artist lead would like focus on the work and the coordinator would make sure to pick you up and put yeah. you in front of the right problem. <laughs> yeah. Directing traffic. <laughs> you stand here, solve this problem. I'm going to check out something else. I was like, so yes, yeah, so a good coordinator is really good yeah. at that. Uh, and that's, I'm always very valuable. It's like, I don't know where yeah. I need to be. <laughs> you tell me. So, uh, so yeah, this was really cool. Uh, having good credit. Okay. So what, after coordinator, what's the next logical step in the, in the, in the hierarchy? So, uh, a lot of people have production managers. Um, some smaller shops will go from coordinator to associate producer. So these roles are, are very similar depending on where you are, um, but you have a more eagle-eyed view of the coordinators. You're making sure that um, they're looking at the right things, that if there's something super urgent, that they're then prioritizing something else, um, where the coordinators focus more on day to day, the production manager is probably looking at the full week, um, making sure that we're hitting our department deadlines, um, communicating with the producer, um, the coordinator does that as well. Um, but also maybe figuring out if we have the right resources, kind of help with resourcing, um, or if someone's overloaded, like, hey, this CG artist actually has 10 things, I think we could reassign five things, you know, kind of just looking more globally at, at the project. Um, but still a lot of the same things, always checking, you know, dates and work balance yep. and uh, making sure everything's up to date. Yeah. So, so for example, like what we used to do shot boards, right? So you'd look at yep. all the shots that are due for the week and, and a production manager will just make sure that everything looks balanced and doable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Right. And usually the production manager has several coordinators under them that right. they are then using to delegate the day-to-day -day tasks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then what, then you're starting to move into the associate producer, producer role. So what are some of those responsibilities? Yeah. So on top of all of the, the other things, um, the big difference is that you start getting more involved with the bidding process, learning what mandates are, learning what your day rate is, learning what price points are right for which clients, um, really, really dissecting what goes into a shop, making sure that it's bid correctly. Um, like I was saying earlier, if it's 
you know, 2D versus a 3D approach, um, knowing the difference in, in the prices for those different things. Um, so bidding and financial tracking, you know, you start looking at the health of the show. Are they going over budget on a task? Do we need to reassign because we don't think that they're going to get there in the two hours that are left? Um, so really management of the health of the show and making sure that you're hitting a good margin. Right. Okay. So that's starting to interface with the client more. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And then what is a producer? <laughs> <laughs> so producer, um, I would say is very similar to the associate producer, but you would probably get a bigger project. Uh, associate producers usually are under a producer to help on a big project, or they have their own smaller shows that they can run um, that maybe their project only has phone comps, right. or it's only beauty work. Sure. I don't want to say only, you know, it's all work, but yeah. um, more straightforward, less departments sure. um, type work. Um, so then the producer would do all of the same things, but on a grander scale, usually the budget is probably, you know, a million plus, um, lot more shot count type work. Um, but really, really building that clientele, uh, talking with them, calling them, making sure that you're looking at the right amount of scope increases, charging for the scope yep. increases, change orders, conversation. <laughs> change orders. Yep. Yep. Um, also hard discussions of, hey, we just got this note and our deadline's tomorrow, but this goes back to animation, you know? Right. So talking about schedule changes as well um, is a lot of the producer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so then you've got head of projection, right? <laughs> that's above, <laughs> yes. is that the, what is a head of production doing? And that's when you're starting to talk more studio level things, right? Yeah, yeah. So head of production um, will oversee all of the producers. Um, they, they probably oversee all of the production, but you would start with the producers, then delegate down. Um, so it's really making sure that bids across all of the producers are the same, that we're bidding out all the things the same way, um, that we're running our shows the same way, um, going to them. A producer would go to them if they're having an issue with a client that they're not quite sure how to handle. Maybe they've never been in that situation before. Um, so really a soundboard for the producers when uh, the client might be giving them, telling them things that they don't know how to handle, whether it's, you know, deadline or saying that that's not a scope change, but we think that it is. Right. Um, so trying to be the peacemaker between um the producer and the client side. Okay. All right. And that's really kind of a, it's almost like taking each of the shows and just making sure you have resources spread across each yes. of the show and stuff. And sometimes yes. saying, can we borrow some of your compositors for like a two yes. weeks? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, now head of studio, <laughs> which is where you are now. So what is a head of yeah. studio? <laughs> yeah. So, my main responsibilities now, um, artist allocations. So depending on where you are, this could also be the head of production, okay. um, making sure they know where the resources are, that they're being utilized. Um, 
since I come from the production background, I kind of probably take on more of that role than maybe a VFX soup would that's in this role. Um, so it's all kind of a little fluid between the two. They're very um, cohesive together, like working in harmony. Um, but resources for shows, um, also in charge of assigning supervisors, producers for shows. Um, what else do I do? Um, making sure everything is running the way that it should, uh, making sure that Brandon or other supervisors are using the right approach for certain shots, um, regardless of if it was bid one way, maybe internal conversation will make it so that it's different uh, for a better approach that might be have the same result but faster. Um, I look at the overall health of the whole LA office um, in terms of is everyone hitting their margins, um, planning events, uh, making sure crew morale stays up, uh, giving reviews, giving feedback, really just trying to make sure that everyone is growing in their role that they're in and continuing their career trajectory as well. So a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one meetings, making sure people are getting the type of work that they want, what they're looking for in the future. Um, so health of of all of the the people under me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, it's funny. I should uh, I should note that one of my uh, everyone knows that I love to fly fish in this podcast. We're talking <laughs> about it all the time. But one of my my fly fishing buddies is a is a compositor at, uh, at at Crafty, and then he found out that you were like I knew he was like oh my god she's just like it's like yeah so uh, he's very like oh, what do you think what do you think Molly you know because he when you're a junior sometimes you get a little self conscious about yourself and so he was kind of wondering it's like that that uh, how all that going but he's doing really well uh, yeah. and. I'm, and I'm proud of him. And it's really cool to sort of see that career path. And now I know why it's being so well managed because you're in charge. <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah, it's, Go ahead. Oh, it's interesting because um, having juniors or mids, you know, working in this work from home um, work environment has been super challenging, you know, so that's something that I've been strategizing with as well to have some in-person learning. Um our office kind of like just became a graveyard for office chairs for a long time. Right. And so it wasn't like a place that you could like go and work at. And so I've been working with our IT to get our second story up and running so that we can have like 10 people in at a time. Um, so that's a big initiative that we have for this year to have that like, hey, uh, what do you think of this, you know, mentality? Because it's a little difficult uh, in work from home. One thing... Sure that we do do is have a mentor mentee system um, that I've had help with, with Nicholas Daniels um, being really great at picking people that are mentors and can train other people, like how we do things at crafty and also how just other tips and tricks that you would learn that you would have probably picked up with someone sitting next to you. Um, but yeah, definitely looking for more ways to help improve everyone grow. So always a challenge. Well, I find that fascinating. And I started realizing, because I was going to ask you this question, and then I started realizing you're telling me your story with when you started, when you were working at Rhythm and Hughes, you were kind of working with people remotely at that time. That's yeah, true. Yes. <laughs> so you kind Very of already true. knew what how to manage that a little bit, which was interesting. Uh, do you, I mean, what, one thing that I've always been impressed with is that, you know, certain during COVID certain visual effects houses really suffered 
and you guys didn't. You guys thrived. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really, really interested in finding out what do you think was some of the co- uh, helped make that happen for you guys. Yeah, I, I feel like we over doubled in size um, during COVID, which is remarkable because people were were closing or scaling back, and a lot of that just went out to our EPs and sales department. You know, they went over anything and everything. If they heard that someone was lessening their crew, they would go to the executive on the client side and say, "Hey, we have resources." If if they're not able to take all of their original work, you know, and so that's where a lot of things came came from us or came to us. Um, but sorry, I forget what the question is. I went on a tangent. About thriving during COVID. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Um, and so Crafty's uh, mentality has always been, um, all right, we have the artists. Now we have too many artists. You need to find work. So then they find work. And then, okay, now we have too much work. We need more artists. So then we get more artists. And it's like, okay, now we have too many artists. Get more work. So it's always been that kind of back and forth. And it's, it's just incredible that they, we've never really been a freelance studio. You know, you kind our policy has always kind of been like, be with us for three months and then we'll bring you on as staff. And so we kind of have just like kept that trajectory going. Um, you know, as long as there's work, you know, we were always able to, to make it happen. And we took full advantage of anything that we had heard about that might need extra hands. And, you know, we're not going after, you know, the big, city destruction shots you know we're going after quick things that are easy to peel off and that's been our bread and butter and it really keeps you know the work coming what's fascinating to me is that as you just described it's like okay i have too many artists so i need more works and now i have too much work i need more artists sometimes that doesn't happen sometimes you just have too much too many artists and they're overworked and they'll quit and everything goes to hell or you never get more work (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so then that's also a problem. And then you have to lay off artists. There's got to be, there's a, you you guys have been succeeding. You you managed to find more artists during a time when there's less artists available. And you've also found a lot of work during times that people were not necessarily finding it. I mean, do you, but that's a testament to how you guys run the studio. It's got to (laughs) be. Yeah. Um, when I said earlier, you know, that Crafty is one of the best places that I ever worked, um, it's also because somehow we maintain the work-life balance. Um, I've been places with you uh, <laughs> where, you know, we're working 12-hour days, seven days a week for months at a time, you know. Yeah. Um, even when we're at our craziest, it's very rare that we are working the weekends or working over 50 hours a week. So wow. I think that that's really what keeps uh, people staying. And um, yeah, it's just a way that we do things. Um, there's a lot of factors, obviously, good production, good supervisors, um, the right type of work, you know, because if all you're doing is super big CG stuff, you know, that's that's very low margin work. So if you have some CG, but then a ton of beauty work or phone comps, you know, then things balance out to where um, you have really high profit margin versus um, middle of the road or low, low profit margin. Right, 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 right. Well, that's fascinating. Fascinating. That's, I think that's a good, good point. What are, what are some of the other things I think, you know, that contribute to it? And in terms of the artist level, let's start, let's start with that. 
Um, you know, you guys, when before COVID, one of the things that Crafty did is they opened lots of smaller offices with all tax incentive uh, places, yeah. right? So Louisiana, Georgia, Vancouver, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, what are, but since COVID, you've got a wider net that you can throw out there because you can find artists in different locations. Do you think that you guys knew how to do that? And like, what, what contributed to, to, to your artist pool? Yeah, um, it's definitely a learning experience. You know, anytime that you have a new office, um, training up people in the crafty ways is the big part of the onboarding process. Um, like that, hey, you're not going to have lighting and this and that, you know, like you're going to have, uh, that's a bad example. I don't know. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's like things where, hey, you're doing all of this and and then, you know, that's the crafty way or, right. hey, this was supposed to be 3D, but we found this new way to do it in uh, V-Ray setup for Nuke, you know. Right. So it's like there's a lot of different approaches that go about things. So teaching people how to work that way is the main thing. Um, but what also is really nice is that we have just two servers for all of our locations. We have an East Coast and a West Coast server. Mm. And even before COVID, um, we were working back and forth all the time. Just and the system is so easy. It's like you just hit right click sync and then it syncs the folder to the other server and then it's mirrored. So um, the file structure is super easy to navigate. And so if LA was looking tight, then Atlanta, um, that was the main studio that we were working back and forth with would be like, oh, I have people. Um, okay, right click sync, you know? So it was like all of a sudden you're working with them. And the funny thing is that I think working remote has even made that process um, better because before you would kind of be in LA and thinking, all right, let's have our meeting. And then you would have your meeting and then you're like, oh crap, I need to zoom in Atlanta or I need to gather these artists that are at another studio where now everyone is digital or virtual, you know, so you just ping everybody and then everyone comes, you know? So right. in, in that way, it's easier, which is funny, but um, yeah, you definitely use all of the locations for your advantage. Um, another thing that I, I neglected to talk about with producers is that um, you figure out the splits between rebate and non rebate locations. So a lot of our shows offer like, hey, we'll do 50% in Vancouver, 50% in LA, or 30% in Vancouver, 70% in LA. Um, so we're able to offer some rebates for the clients, which makes us really competitive. Um, and we're able to take advantage of the artists in those locations. But then also, we're able to use any location for the non-rebatable part. You know, it doesn't have to be LA, it can be anywhere. So we kind of have the system where we, we talk in our heads of studio meetings where we're like, all right, well, this project's wrapping up. So these people are going to be free. Let's grab them. They're going to go on to this show. And yeah, it's just one big, big community pot kind of in some ways. Yeah. I think that's really, really smart. Really, really smart. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about the work because uh, Crafty, as you said, you guys get a lot of work uh, and there's also a ton of stuff being made on the streaming side. And that's one of the, the stuff that you guys are really good at is streaming content, right? So yeah. how did that sort of, you know, how did that all work itself out in terms of, you know, being good at, at specifically those types of projects? Uh, well, it's interesting because I feel like the, the line of 
quality is so blurred now. You know, it's like streaming it is essentially feature quality, but it a, is, few, yes. a few episodes of it, you know? Um, so I feel like if you just look at it as, hey, we're doing the same approach regardless of TV versus streaming versus feature, um, we're literally just doing the breast approach for everything, then that I think is what leads to the success. Uh, when you when you have like a TV team or a commercial team or something, um, they're not going to grow and, and have the skill sets as other people. But when you're forced into doing all of the different uh, formats, then you just work the best way possible for the product. And I think that that's something that we do very well. Yeah, I think that's true. And I'm not necessarily saying that streaming is, is, is lesser in any ways. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of it. And uh, it's really kind of interesting. Uh, so, so since, you know, obviously like you, you mentioned LED walls as a thing that's, that's happening. I mean, how have, have you seen a way more demand for virtual production, uh, in the last few years? Um, we've definitely seen an increase. Um, but since we're still kind of dabbling in virtual production, um, our Baton Rouge and Atlanta team are kind of the ones really spearheading that, um, I don't, I don't feel super comfortable talking about where we are with the technology, but no, that's, that's uh, fine. But I'm, I'm just wondering yeah. in terms of generally, like from the, from the industry's point of view, are you seeing a lot more demand for that kind of stuff in general? Yeah, I think, you know, it's always, if it's right for the product, you right. know, um, I think people are very smart, um, when it will be beneficial to them and when it's not, um, I do, we definitely are seeing an uptick of it, but there still are only so many places that you can do it. So it's not probably as in high of demand as you would think. Sure. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, that's a good, good thing to think about. Um, now here's my other weird question for you. <laughs> what a lot of people are, are very, uh, just, just freaking out over all the AI stuff that's happening right now. Uh, as far, you know, from everything from artists to script writers to apparently my, Vlado just told me that he saw a presentation of chat GPT four where they fed it a tax code and give people their finances and they did their taxes for what? them. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, but <laughs> here's my question for you. As far as the studio is concerned, from the from your point of view, sort of you're you're in a great sort of overview looking at what's happening. What are your what is your position on like how are we paying attention to how this is going to affect us in terms of our workload, in terms of the expertise that we're hiring and, and more? Yeah. I think that hope the hope, my hope yeah. is that it'll you we will use it to be more streamlined. Right. Um, like I could see it being a huge benefit for breaking down scripts, you know, right. like, Hey, instead of me going through and highlighting what I think is a visual effects and then copy and pasting it into the Excel to then add mandates to maybe that will be able to be automated by, you know, this robot or right. AI, you know, um, a way to maybe trace Roto and then have the machine learn to follow the person for the rest of the the shot. You know, there's ways that we can use it that I think will make things very fast. 
I personally don't think that it will take over our jobs, at least not yet. <laughs> um, but I've also seen people use it to write scripts. Um, if they need a way to automate something like, hey, I have um, this file that I need renamed on these scripts, or I need to update this this um, node to this node on right. these shots, you know, like using it like that um, has been super beneficial and people are, are able to do it super easy instead of going to IT or their pipeline people, you know, to get that sorted, they're able to take it on themselves. So I think it's super exciting. Um, but we'll see where it gets with the creative stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I should, I should know that I've actually been wanting to get Sean, Sean Looper on. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I, I know Sean pretty well and he's a great guy. So maybe he can help me dive yes. into this a little bit. <laughs> they want to put it, but you know, from, from, from your point of view, I'm just wondering like, is it some, um, it obviously sounds like it's something that crafty is paying attention to. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Are you seeing have. new types of artists and new skill sets that you need to hire for those positions? Yeah, we definitely have had a big uptick in machine learning um, okay. people that we have hired. A lot of that is under Sean Looper and uh, Chris Ledoux right now. So I don't have quite all of the insights to it, but sure. I know that they're learning a lot. And um, deep fake technology is another one where we really need um, where we've seen a lot of demand for it. So um, getting people to learn deep fake uh, is also a agenda for us. Interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, very cool. Now, here's your opportunity to tell us some of the cool stuff that's coming out at Craft the Apes that you can tell us of. Obviously, there's lots of things that you can't tell us. But what are some of the things we can look forward to in the near future? Great. Um, shows that we recently wrapped, uh, some of them are out. We worked on some of the episodes for The Last of Us. Awesome. Uh, that was Vancouver and then LA helped with some of the last three episodes. Yeah. Um, we just wrapped on 1923, which is actually out already. Yes. Um, we did a lot of, uh, blood and wound, <laughs> wound stuff for that show. Okay. Um, also, a lot of creative split screens for when they're up a tree and there's a herd of uh, hyenas and, and lions under them. So that was all shot practically that we did a bunch of splits for some CG grass to help blend um, right. CG elephant carcass. Um, so nice. super fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and then other things that are coming out soon. We just wrapped on John Wick four, nice. uh, the new Indiana Jones Wonderful. and Trying to think what else. Those are the ones that come immediately to mind. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's very exciting. That's very exciting. And uh, what I'll do is I'll make sure that in the podcasting, we'll have uh, notes on how to get in touch with you guys in case people are looking for work or recommendations. Great. I'm sure they'll be able to get in touch with you that way. Uh, yes, but, happy to chat. Yeah. Molly, thank you so much. It's very, very exciting talking to you and to learn more about Crafty. I'm going to definitely have to get Sean on uh, yes. as well. Uh, but it was really cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I had a blast.